guys give a huge hand to Pastor Andrew as, as he comes up. And so blessed by this man. He is just a, uh, filled with wisdom. And Okay, you can stop now. <laughs> he actually had this, he had this message on his heart a while back. And there was this, this thing that came through and it wiped out about two-thirds of our staff in a matter of five days. And I mean, literally just cleaned us out. Uh, right before Christmas Eve and uh, the week where you were supposed to speak on like the, the week before, I think, right before. So anyway, uh, now we get to hear this a message. So, Andrew. Excellent. Well, thank you. Uh, and thank you to Pastor JR who jumped in last minute and filled in for me when I had the flu. That was not fun. Our entire family got it, even our three-month-old. And so it was, yeah, thank you for your compassion. It was wild. Um, everyone was just in bed, and we looked awful, and so many of you called and asked, like, oh, can we bring you soup? Our fridge was filled with soup, and it was really helpful. It was really, really great to not have to get up and cook, and, and so thank you for that. Um, this morning, I'm excited to get to, to share with you. New Year's are always so fun. Um, I, I don't do a lot of resolutions during the new year because um, I think it's too rigid, and I have a hard time, and I feel like once I fail it once, then I'm like, well, we're just shot. I'll try again next year. And so usually by like the third week of January, I'm just like, no, I'm done. Um, but so instead, I, I try to think of like a theme, you know, or maybe a word that will kind of go with my year. And, and so one of the things that the Lord's been speaking to me this year is that um, to have more fun. And he was showing me just that like, you know, Life in general, and especially life with Jesus, doesn't have to be somber or serious all the time. There are certainly somber moments. Uh, there can be serious times, but it's, uh, it's a life full of joy, and it's a life uh, of abundance, and, and, and so inspiring me to have more fun this year. And, and I came to that uh, as I was, I was sitting with God one morning, and I was doing my, my quiet time, and, and I was just kind of having these moments of, of sort of just talking with God, um, my quiet time used to be so regimented. It was, you know, I'm going to watch the clock, and I'll do, I'll do this for 10 minutes, and then I'll do this for 10 minutes, and then I'll do this for 10 minutes. And, um, and that was really good for a season when I was building self-discipline and, and some of those Christian disciplines of, of reading and praying and whatever. But, um, but I've, I've been lately in this season where it's just a little bit more free with God. And so the Lord has just talked to me, and I was talking with him. And, and it looked like, because um, it's not always like verbally, like I'm talking now, it's, it's not always that, and then hearing the audible voice of God, that's not, my, my quiet times aren't that anointed yet, um, but it was just sort of this like um, Holy Spirit-inspired daydreaming almost, and, and the Lord was reminding me of, of times in middle school when I was hanging out with my good friend Jonathan, and Jonathan, Jonathan Romo, we called him J-Ro, just shorten his name, that was his nickname, and his dad was a ton of fun. Uh, Jonathan was the oldest of three boys, and, but if you asked his mom, his mom would say that she had four boys because the dad really acted like one of the boys. And, um, and I loved going over to his house because we always had so much fun. Uh, I just had one sister, and you don't have the same kind of fun with a sister that you have with brothers. And so to go into a house that had three, sometimes a fourth boy having fun, it was pretty wild. Um, I remember one game that we would play. They had a, um, a, a big trampoline in the backyard, 
And in the house, they had beanbag chairs that you could sit on when you played like video games or watch TV. And we would take the beanbag chairs outside and we'd, we'd do kind of tournament style. Two people would be jumping on the trampoline holding a beanbag and you would jump and then you would collide midair with the beanbags to kind of cushion it and then you'd fall into the trampoline. Um, and it seemed like a great idea to a middle schooler. And even to a very certain dad, it was an excellent idea. But I think one of the brothers broke his arm playing that game, and we didn't get to play it much after that. But we had a lot, a lot of fun. But what the Holy Spirit was reminding me as I was kind of daydreaming about the fun was, was that uh, Jonathan's dad had a unique role. Uh, he worked in the church that my family attended and, and still attends now. They've been there a long time. And uh, he was the children's pastor moving into the youth pastor about the same time that Jonathan and I were moving out of the children's program into the youth program. And so he was kind of making that transition with us and with his, his sons. And, uh, and it was really, really interesting to watch Jonathan interact with his dad. Because there were times where his dad was just one of the boys saying, yeah, you can hit him with that beanbag, like that'll be great. There were other times where, where Sean, Jonathan's dad, was the dad and had to kind of say, well, boys, uh, your mother would want me to tell you that we can't do that. <laughs> and then there were other times that, that Sean was the pastor, either children's pastor or later on youth pastor. And, and because Jonathan was one of my best friends, I was over there a lot, I got to kind of see how Jonathan not only recognized but interacted with his dad when his dad was wearing those different hats. Because um, sometimes with ministry, it, it comes home with you. You bring in some people or, or you invite them over and and so it was pastor speaking to his son. Other times it was dad speaking to his sons. And other times it was kind of friend speaking to his son. And so getting to see how Jonathan navigated that was interesting. Uh, it was fun when he nailed it, you know, because like we're in step, we're not missing anything. But it was also really awkward when he missed it. When we're playing around and dad says, that's enough, you need to stop. And we keep going because we think the friend said that. Like we think the one who normally eggs us on and is like, yeah, yeah, hit him harder. Push him off the trampoline. We thought that person was saying, hey, you've reached the limit, you need to stop. And it wasn't. It was actually pastor that was saying, hey, you need to stop. And, uh, and so to see kind of those moments of correction and learn from it and see that. And, I, and so I was thinking about fun. I was remembering these relationships and the, and the different ways that Jonathan interacted with his dad when he had on kind of those different roles, those, those different hats. And the Lord reminded me of something one of our incredible intercessors was sharing with a group of our staff. And she was reminding us and explaining to us how we need to recognize Jesus differently in different seasons. Jesus carries so many different titles, and he interacts with us in so many different ways. And it's important that we recognize not only the season we are in and how we need to interact with God, but also the season that God is interacting with us from. You know, how the, the title or the manner or the hat that he's wearing when he regards us. And so recognizing that, um, most of us know Jesus as Savior, and that's a great one to know him as, um, but there are times when you're sick that you really want to know Jesus as healer, not just your Savior. You're not hoping that, man, when this sickness kills me, I hope I get into heaven. That's not, that's not our highest aim. It's like, okay, Jesus, I need to know you as healer right now. Uh, there's Redeemer, Deliverer, Friend, Teacher. Jesus is our intercessor. He's praying for us. Um, he's the author of faith. He writes faith onto our lives. He's the prince of peace, the source of wisdom. He's unconditional love. There are so many incredible titles of Jesus. I could fill my whole time this morning just talking about all the different titles of Jesus. I won't, but I could. 
But the ones that I felt the Lord leading me to, that Holy Spirit was kind of guiding me as, as I was spending these mornings with him, was, was these titles of, of Lord and of Master and of King. One of the marks of maturity as a Christian is to be able to hold seemingly conflicting ideas at the same time. Uh, sometimes it appears that there's this tension between King Jesus and friend Jesus. Like, they're, they're two different guys. And you, and you can almost be like, well, which Jesus is going to talk to me today? And, and it feels like there's a tension. But as we mature, as we read more uh, of the Bible, as we spend more time with God, as we're in church a little bit longer and, and hear some more teachings and press in and learn and grow, we begin to, to be able to hold these seemingly conflicting ideas at the same time. That it doesn't have to be one or the other, but it's, it's both and. Jesus is both friend and king. Uh, Holy Spirit is both our comforter and the one who brings conviction. I mean, how's that for a, a job description? Like, I need you to comfort them and also, like, kind of kick them in the backside. You know, like, I need you to do both. God is both the good and loving Father and the great judge of the world. Like, that is seemingly conflicting. But if anyone can do it, it's God. He can be both at the same time. And, and so I felt the Holy Spirit nudging me towards seeing Jesus as king that I had done well in, in the previous season to regard him as friend, uh, as, as someone that I love, as the, the beloved or the betrothed, as, as that, um, that, that husband, the groom coming back for a bride. I was seeing him in those ways, but I had, I had missed seeing him as king. And so Holy Spirit was kind of nudging me towards that. And as I started to pray, like, okay, well, God, what does that mean to see Jesus as king? Jesus, help me to see you as king. As I started to pray that, I had a, I had a very interesting interaction with Ryan Kate. And one of the beautiful things about children, whether they're your biological children or adopted or foster or whatever, um, they teach you so much about God's heart as a father. And there are so many great lessons that we learn as parents. And, and on this particular morning that I want to talk about, uh, I learned one of those lessons. So it's, uh, we're finishing up breakfast uh, it's a weekday, and I'm trying to get Ryan Kate to school. Ryan Kate is my four-year-old, and she's in preschool here at the, the academy, and, um, and she loves it. It's been fantastic. But sometimes we have a hard time getting here on time, which is ridiculous because we only live five minutes away. It's only five minutes, but what I've learned is I can't leave five minutes before school starts. I have to leave a full 20 minutes before school starts because it takes us seven minutes to get from the kitchen to the edge of the driveway. You know, because you, you go, okay, we gotta, we got to get through the living room. we got to get into the car. And she's, four-year-olds, like, they want to be independent, but they can't. She can't open the door by herself, but she wants to. And so that's a weird, like, I have to do it, but in such a way where she feels like she's doing it. And so that takes a while. And then we get in, and she doesn't, she doesn't fit well in her car seat with the big winter coat, but the school insists that we bring a winter coat, and so you have to wear your coat. And then, so that's a whole battle. And then finally she takes the coat off and gets buckled. But then we get to school, and, okay, well, now you have to put the coat back on. And it's just like it takes us 20 minutes to make a five-minute journey. And so that's where I'm at in my life. And so on this particular morning, we had already been late to school uh, three times, and I told her, if we're late again, I'm afraid one of us is going to have to talk to the principal, and I don't want it to be me. <laughs> I don't want to get called to the principal's office. I have a great record. I haven't been called in there in years. Let's not break that now. So I told her, we have to get to school on time. We have to get to school on time. Eat, take another bite. Eat your breakfast. Like, hurry up. Come on. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. 
And so she's, she's finishing, she's finishing, breakfast is done. I said, great, give me your plate. So I'm finishing up our dishes, and I'm packing together our lunches, and I say, I need you to go upstairs, put on your socks, put on your shoes. Three simple commands, clear and concise. Go upstairs, put on your socks, put on your shoes. I didn't stammer, I didn't stutter, I articulated it well. <laughs> go upstairs, put on your socks, put on your shoes. She goes upstairs, and I see her go into her room. One down, two to go. This is great. I continue, I finish up with the dishes. The time is moving faster than I think it should. Like, it's, it is speeding up on me. I'm watching it on the clock, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, we got to get going. And I'm shouting at the dishes, we've got to get going. No one else in the house is hearing me, but I'm just shouting them at the dishes. And, uh, and finally, like, I, I get everything loaded in the backpacks, and, and she still hasn't come back downstairs. And maybe that was my fault. I should have included that as part four. You need to also return back downstairs after the socks and the shoes. But I failed to do that. So I went upstairs to retrieve her. And when I went up there, she, uh, she was, she was, it wasn't quite playing with her toys. It was really like organizing them. Ryan Kate is, is very organized. She gets that from her gammy. Um, and, and so she's like organizing her toys. And I said, what are you doing? She said, I'm cleaning my room. And I said, okay. But she was barefoot. She was cleaning her room barefoot, two and three. I, she did one, but two and three was put on socks, put on shoes. Nowhere did I ask her to clean up her room. And so I said, I said, why are you barefoot? And she said, ah. I said, I don't need you to be helpful right now. I need you to be obedient. And instantly, the Lord was like, good. I'm so glad you understand that. And I just, I was like, oh, Lord, not now. We're late. <laughs> Can't you correct me later? She was supposed to be putting on her socks and her shoes because we were running late. But those are things I understand. She can't read the clock yet. So I asked her, I said, put on your socks and your shoes. There were things that I understand that she couldn't. I said, I need you to put on your socks and your shoes. And she instead did something that was very helpful, but it wasn't obedient. It was helpful, but it wasn't obedient. Lately, I've noticed this about about my life. As I'm I'm going through this journey with God, and I'm saying, how do I recognize Jesus as king? How do I put him on the throne of my life so that I submit to his kingship? And the Holy Spirit's been able to show me two areas. There's probably a lot more, but we've only been in this for a couple months, and he's been gracious. And so there's two areas that that I have that I can share with you. The first one is is when we're helpful, but we're not obedient. That might be a red flag, or let me say more confidently, that's a red flag that we're not treating Jesus as king. We're interacting with him differently. Maybe he's a friend. uh, Maybe he's someone we love. Maybe he's someone that we enjoy his presence. But we're not regarding him as king if we're being helpful but not obedient. And the second thing that the Holy Spirit has shown me in, in my life is when I treat Jesus as an advisor but not a commander. When, when, I, when I take his advice but I don't treat it as a commandment. And so in those two ways... I had been interacting with Jesus, still loving him, still uh, enjoying his presence, still being, you know, faithful to love him and read his word and all these, like, good things. But in these two areas, I had kind of missed it. And the Holy Spirit was gracious enough to show me. And so being, I want to kind of dig into these just a little bit. Being helpful but not obedient. This is my point one. Helpful but not obedient. That's when uh, you give your offering when the buckets go by. Um, but God is actually prompting you to help someone out who's going through a tough time financially. You know, you, he, he puts it on your heart. Oh, I should help that person. I know they're, they're going through a tough time or maybe they got laid off or lost a job or medical expenses, something. And he puts it on your heart to help them. But you're like, no, 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 it's cool, God. I, I put my money in the bucket. Like, 
you, you can't ask any more of me. Like, I've been helpful, but it wasn't obedient. Or maybe it looks like you're, you're volunteering at the church, you're helping out with winter shelter or Wednesday night dinners, but the Lord's actually asking you to reach out to your neighbor. And you're coming home at the end of the week and you're saying, I helped in church, I checked it off my list, I was helpful. And the Lord's like, yeah, but you weren't obedient. I, I, it was great that you helped out in that way. I loved that you cleaned your room, but I really wanted you to put on socks. I love that you were straightening up your toys, but I really needed you to put your shoes on right now because that neighbor needs to know me. And what you're doing is good, but I needed you to do something specific to be obedient. Maybe it looks like God asking you to give someone a prophetic word and you're a little nervous about it. And so instead, it just becomes like a dinner invitation. And so they come over and you're encouraging. That's helpful. That's good. Like we should be building community. We should be inviting other people into our homes and loving on them. But if we miss it, then it's not really being obedient. It's helpful, but not obedient. God wants our obedient more than he wants us to choose when or where or how or if we are obedient. And, and that's, that's interesting because uh, I, I don't think Jesus is a micromanager. Um, let, me, let me expand on that. I, when we see Jesus give instructions to his to his disciples, and he says, hey, get in the boat and go across the lake. It's, it's not recorded as him saying, okay, now, Simon Peter, you need to be on port side, and you need to be rowing, because I saw last time, and you did not row your fair share. And James and John, sons of Zebedee, we're going to have to split you up so, it's not, so you guys aren't rowing in circles. Like, we need to balance out that power. I don't think Jesus is a micromanager. So, so when, I'm, when I'm telling, you know, hey, we need to be obedient to his commands... It's not, it's not this paralyzing effect of, well, I won't do anything unless I hear God say it. I, it's also, it's this get in the boat and, and row. And once you get in the boat, like, you know, call shotgun or, or jump on whatever side you're comfortable with. Like, that's fine. There's a lot of flexibility. There's a lot of um, free will. There's a lot of God has given us wisdom. And so we, get, we can make a lot of choices. But there are clear times as you, as you walk with the Lord and you learn to hear his voice, there are clear times that he speaks something to you and deep down you know he's speaking something specific to you. And it would become disobedient if we ignored that for the sake of being helpful. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, Saul has, uh, has gone to attack this city. The Lord has given him a, a very clear instructions. Attack the city, destroy everything, Kill, uh, kill the people and the animals. Those were his instructions. He gets there, and because of some pressure from his team, he kills all the people, destroys the city, but he takes the animals for himself, and he says, I'm going to, to sacrifice these as an offering to God, which is helpful, but not obedient. And Samuel comes in to correct him. And we see in verse 22, it says, But Samuel replied, What is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices, or your obedience to his voice? And knowing that Saul didn't know the right answer, that he had already failed this one, he answers his own question. He says, listen, obedience is better than sacrifice, and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Your helpfulness is good, but God doesn't necessarily need us to just be helpful. He needs us to be obedient. When we're regarding him as the great king that he is, he needs us to be obedient. And our obedience is what's truly helpful. He wants to partner with us. He wants to use us to impact the world, but it's through the obedience. John 15, 14, um, Jesus is teaching, and he, he speaks to his disciples. He says, you are my friends if you do what I command. 
So earlier when I talked about these two things seeming in conflict of, of Jesus as friend and Jesus as king, there's not really that much conflict because what we see is we are his friends if we do what, what he commands. So the inverse, we, when we do his commands, we are his friends. Seeing Jesus as king isn't in opposition to seeing him as friend. It is actually foundational for it. It is not in opposition to it. It is foundational for it. To seek Jesus as king, to recognize his commands as commandments, not just advice, and to obey them makes us his friends. And so there's this beautiful, whereas at first it's like, oh, God, that seems so conflicting. Like, I learned about you this way, and now I have to kind of forget that and learn about you this way. It's not. They are complementary, and they are foundational for each other. So sometimes we can be helpful, but not obedient. And if we find ourselves in that position, maybe it means that Jesus has come off the throne a bit. Maybe he's no longer the king of our life like we sing that he might be, or we say that he might be, or we wish that he were. And, yeah. Point number two, the second way that the Holy Spirit pointed out to me that, that I had sort of missed Jesus as king is I was treating him as an advisor and not a commander. It was as if there was a, a boardroom in my head and, and everyone got a, a, an equal voting right. And so Jesus had a chair and my spouse had a chair and my parents had a chair and my friends had a chair and expert authors had a chair and the talking pundits on TV had a chair. And, and so I'd, I'd face a, a life decision and I'd say, okay, what does everyone think? And those who've been married a while, you kind of have a voice in your head that represents your spouse and you kind of know the sorts of things that they say. And, and you know what your parents say. And, and so you sort of go through and you're like, okay, Jesus, what do you say? And he'd say something. And, okay, my wife will say this. My parents would say this. You ask your friends. They say this. You, you hear what the world is saying. They say this. You read maybe a book on the topic and they say this. And I'd sort of go through and, I, and it was like I was averaging out the votes. I was tallying them up and be like, okay, we've got five votes for yes, three votes for no. The yeas have it. Motion approved. You know, And it was like, that's how I was going through it. And I didn't realize that I had reduced Jesus to just the role of advisor and not commander. That there were things he was actually commanding me to do. And I was taking that and I was saying, okay, I will take that into consideration. And if the board agrees with it, we'll move forward with that. And we can laugh because we realize how, how silly that is, how ridiculous that sounds. But it, the humor in it is that it rings true with us, Right? If what I was saying was nonsense, it wouldn't be as funny. So treating Jesus as an advisor and not a commander. Sometimes that looks like um, when he tells us to go pray for someone and, and we're like, oh, that's a, that's a good idea. That's, I could see how that could be helpful, but this isn't really convenient right now. I don't know if I could do that in this scenario. They're, they look really busy or they've got earphones in. Like, I don't want to interrupt. It's probably a really great podcast that they're listening. And we come up with these... Excuses, we justify it. A lot of times we justify when we don't want to obey the command of God. We find a way to justify, like, oh, Saul did the same thing. When he's making, when he doesn't obey God to destroy all the animals and he keeps them, he justifies saying, but it'll be fine. I'm going to offer these as a sacrifice. So God will be pleased. But God was most pleased with his obedience. Sometimes it looks like um, when God speaks to you and says, hey, I'm calling you first as a minister to your family. Uh, before you minister to your community and, you know, in your work, I, I really want you to be the minister to your family. I want you to lead your family spiritually. And that looks like spending more time at home. A lot of times we get busy and we think, okay, well, I'll do it next week or next month or 
my resolution for 2021. I'll get it then. And, and we think like, okay, I'll do that. But the Lord's saying, in order to be the minister to your family that I've called you to be, I need you to spend more time with them. And, and we find reasons or excuses to say, well, my bills say I need to work more, or my boss says I need to work more, or you know, my coworkers don't want me to leave early, or whatever it is. And, and we find ways to just sort of justify our, our choice that, Jesus, you commanded me to do this, but, but really all the tension and the pull says I need to, to do this. And what I was uh, convicted of recently was just like how precious that time is with our family. Sometimes the holidays end and you think, wow, I'm really glad that time with family is over. Um, but then there's other times where it's really sweet and it's really special and, and you need more of it. Um, my, my oldest is four now and it feels like she was born and I sneezed and now she's four. And so I've got a three-month-old and I'm scared that like, I'll blink and, and she'll be graduating. And, and what, I, what I heard myself saying the other day is because is my, uh, my older daughter always wants to play pretend. She'll be like, Dad, 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 pretend Anna said this. And I'll be like, okay. And then she'll be like, and pretend you said this. And in my mind, I'm like, okay, I'll pretend I said that. And she's like, no, say it. And I'm like, okay, yes. Hey, Anna, do you want some tea? And we're having a tea party. Uh, her favorite right now, Anna and Elsa. And so they have tea with us. And, um, and through that, what I felt like was we either get to play pretend with our little boys and girls or we can pretend like they'll be around forever. We can either play pretend with them, we can hang out and be with them, or we'll pretend that they'll just be around forever and we can do it some other time. Um, I was, I was uh, I, I, brokenhearted, not because I was sad, but just because the realness of it hit me. There was a, a dad who was at the Daddy-Daughter Ball, which is this fantastic annual event that the children's ministry puts on in the fall. And dads get to take out their princesses and have a special moment and kind of create um, bonds with them. And, uh, and this dad was with one of his daughters who was aging out of the program. It's a children's ministry, and so she was growing up and wasn't going to be, be a part of it anymore. And while they were dancing, it dawned on him that the next time he dances with her might be at her wedding. And I thought, oh, I'm not ready for that. <laughs> My four-year-old, like, I can't, I can't do that. And, uh, and so there's these moments where... It, God's asking us to spend more time with our family or to, to do things that really matter and to maybe turn off the TV and not binge Netflix, but to binge watch our kids or to, you know, to really like follow the stats of their lives. Like, okay, who are your friends and what are they doing and how are they? And, and instead of how the sports team is performing, which will be totally different in four years, like spend, spend time like memorizing like how your kids are interacting even when you can't keep up with it even when you're like okay so so and so snapped this and somehow there was a gram of something and I don't understand like instantly I, I don't understand and who are these names and what are these friends your, your teenagers go to school with several hundred kids I get that it's hard to keep up but I think we've got to lean into that aspect of family and show them that we really care and that like they're valuable and not just dismiss them because something entertaining is on. But I digress. Jesus is king, is what I'm supposed to be talking about. So sometimes we justify. We say, oh, well, I'll get to it tomorrow, or oh, I'll do it a different time, or, or, or even so, we, um, we obey most of the way. So imagine if I had gone upstairs, Ryan Kate, you know, go upstairs, put on your socks, put on your shoes, and I go upstairs. Good, you're upstairs, you did that. 
you got both socks on, but only one shoe? Like, that wouldn't be a high-five moment of, like, great, let's go to school now. Like, I'd be like, why aren't your shoes on? She'd be like, well, I put on one. I need both shoes on. And, and the, the illustration proves that, like, 70% obedience isn't full obedience. And so when God asks us to do something and we're like, okay, I've got time to do most of that or I can sacrifice most of what you're asking me to do, it's, that's not a full and complete obedience. And Jesus as king deserves full and complete obedience. Jesus is the king and he is the authority of his kingdom. He's the authority of his kingdom. And so when I serve the kingdom of God, I serve at the pleasure of the king. So many times we'll talk about the kingdom of God and then we'll interact with Jesus as friend. Or we'll talk about the kingdom of God, but we'll, we'll interact with Jesus as the lamb and not necessarily the lion. And, and there's this beautiful dance of, of seeing that he's both and understanding that when we serve the kingdom of God, we serve at the pleasure of the king, not just our own pleasure or our own convenience. We see Jesus is, is king illustrated throughout the Bible. It's in Matthew 2, it's the, one of the titles given when he's born. The wise men show up from the east and they say, where is the king of the Jews? We saw his star arise and we want to come and pay tribute to him. We've come to worship him. It's the first title he's given when, he, when he's born. One of the first titles he's given when he's born. Uh, we see uh, during his triumphal entry, they say, oh, it's the king of Israel coming in, riding on a donkey, fulfilling prophecy. It's the title that Pilate asks him about when he's on trial. He says, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says, you've said it. It's the title that they put on his, on his cross as he's being crucified. Here, this is Jesus, king of the Jews. He was killed because he was coming as a king. And there was a political assassination of sorts. In Revelations 1, it's how he's known in heaven. And in Revelations 19, it's how he's coming back as the great king. It says, Then I saw heaven opened, and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. The armies of heaven, dressed in the finest of pure white linen, followed him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God the Almighty like juice flowing from a wine press. On his robe at his thigh was written this title, King of all kings and Lord of all lords. When I read that, it gives me shivers because that's not the Jesus that I've been interacting with. I read that and I think, oh my gosh. I've been thinking of like a playful friend Jesus. I don't know if you remember the t-shirts, Jesus is my homeboy. And it's like, there's some truth in it, but he's also my king that I need to serve. He's coming back, riding on a horse, and it's going to be fierce. It is a sight to see. And I don't know where I'm going to be or where I would want to be. It seems like no matter where you're at, it's going to be incredible. But we need to begin to live this portion of our life, recognizing that the one who came as a king, who died as a king, and is returning as a king, is our king today. So if you've been like me, and you've either found yourself being helpful but not quite obedient in completeness, or maybe you've been interacting with Jesus in a way where you've treated him as an advisor, but not necessarily a commander, or maybe both. 
or something else similar to this, where we've taken Jesus off his throne, I want to invite you this morning to search your heart and begin to put Jesus back on that throne. What I've found is a throne never sits empty. In the natural or in the supernatural, when a king comes off of a throne, that there's a power vacuum, and that throne does not sit empty for long. And what seems to happen when we take Jesus off the throne, when we stop interacting with him as king, we begin to put something else on that in its place. Sometimes that's our comfort or our convenience. That becomes the ruler of our life. Whatever's comfortable or whatever's convenient, we'll go that way. Sometimes it's our feeling. We serve the God of our feelings. I don't feel like doing that. I feel like doing this. And we neglect the commands of God. Sometimes it's our appetite. Comfort food or uh, drinks or libations, whatever it may be. Like sometimes our appetite in... in uh, I want to say it's Ephesians, but some, in the New Testament it talks about uh, they serve the God of their stomachs. Sometimes we elevate that and we give it a place of, of, in the throne of our lives. Other times it's finances and money. We're ruled by greed and we're ruled by ambitions or career, things that can be really, really great. Money can be an incredible tool. And then other times if we let it take the throne of our lives, it can be a really poor master. Sometimes we just put ourselves in that place of throne where I am my own king. I'm independent and no one gets to tell me what to do with my life. It's my life, my decision, my choice. But really, if we're serving the kingdom of God, we're serving at the pleasure of the king and we need to put him back on the throne. So very quickly, how do we do that? Some of the most practical ways is, is asking God to help us with that. It's his, it's his great pleasure to help us achieve this And so asking him to say, Father, show me what's on the throne of my life. Help me to be introspective for a moment and to search my heart. And Lord, would you reveal in me what I've elevated to this place of kingship, that I would remove you and I'd put something else in the place. We pray it. Holy Spirit, help me to see Jesus as king and help me to give him the throne in my life. We decree it. In the morning when we wake up, we say, Jesus, today you will be king of my life. Uh, one of the other great ways is fasting. We're about to start our fast, February or January 20th. It'll run through February 10th. Giving up something is a great way to take yourself off the throne of your life and instead to elevate Jesus to that place. When you fast and you say, okay, I'm going to consciously give up this thing, whether it's food, that's one of the most common ones, or whether it's something else. Maybe it's uh, social media or sports or Netflix or whatever it is that would kind of suck your time up being able to give that thing up and say, okay, God, you get that time instead. You get that whatever instead. You get that intentionality. You get that energy instead. And then one of my last and favorite ways that we elevate Jesus to the throne is uh, we see it in Psalms 22, verse 3. It says, yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. When we praise God, not a... uh, Not, this is my favorite worship song, and I put it on because I like it. But when we offer God true praise of like, God, this is all about you and not about me. This isn't about my stomach saying I'm hungry. This is about you. This isn't about my watch saying my next appointment is starting soon. This is about you. When we truly give God the praise that he deserves as king of all kings and lord of all lords, when we do that, it enthrones him. He he takes back that rightful place of sitting on the throne. 
So what we've done is we've intentionally uh, restructured this morning's service. We, we, uh, I was able to get up here a little bit earlier. I've tried to watch the time as best I can, and we're ending a little bit earlier, not so that we can end and, and leave and just, you know, I hope you guys think about this, but I really wanted to give us some time to go back into worship. The, the team has prepared a, an, another song for us, and um, they're going to lead us through a time of, of, of being introspective, of asking the Holy Spirit, what have I put on the throne of my life? And then a time where we can pray. And, and if they're singing words, I, I don't want you to feel pressured that you have to sing those same words. Speak out whatever God's putting on your heart. If it's repentance of God, I'm so sorry. Sing, pray, say that. If it's God, I, I declare you as the king of my life. Sing, say, pray that, whatever you need to do. But we're going to be introspective. We're going to ask God, what have we done? We're going to be repentant. We're going to say, God, that's not what I want to do in this next season. And instead, I want to put you back on the throne of my life. And then we're going to declare it. And we're going to praise him in a way that's not about us, but is all about him because he's worthy and he deserves it. Amen? Excellent. Let me pray for you all as we, as we transition into this, okay? Father, thank you that your Holy Spirit guides us into all truth. Thank you that you don't leave us where we are, but you love us enough to, to call us higher. Thank you that you don't uh, abandon us when we've uh, placed something else on the throne of our lives, but instead, as a loving father, you correct us. And you say, hey, I want to have that place in your life. But you are, are so gracious to give us the choice. And so, Father, this morning, we make the conscious choice that we will praise you as the king of all kings, that we will take ourselves, the God of self, off of that throne, and we will put you back on your rightful place. Father, we repent, and we say, please forgive us where we have been selfish, or self-centered, where we have uh, ignored your commands and just taken them as advice, or where we've been helpful and not obedient. Father, forgive us, and we ask that you would help us, give us the grace to be obedient and the grace to obey. In Jesus' name, amen.